welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. I am so delighted to be here today with my guest, and I, you guys are in for a really special treat. Erica Derrickson is an adventurer who travels the world to places like India, Thailand, Bali, and Egypt. Her popular video blogs receive millions of views as she authentically shares her adventure with hopes of inspiring others to claim theirs. As a former award-winning photographer, actress, and current influential social media maven, she is a bright source of energy and inspiration in the lives of others. And I will absolutely say Erica is a bright source of energy. She currently lives in Hummingbird Valley in Guatemala, where she is building her own permaculture homestead in the mountains. Erica, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Jennifer, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. Thank you. You are so welcome. Well, you helped. So I have you on because in addition to being a social media influencer and this amazing travel maven and your book, Leaving America, right? Leaving America with Erica, How to Travel and Set Yourself Free. Yeah, how to travel and set yourself free. You are also an empath. And I wanted to bring you on because I really wanted to talk about the impact of being an empath when it comes to traveling. I would even say the impact of being being an empath living in America and especially in these wild times, making the decision to step away from America. And uh, just really, I really look forward to getting into this. But before we dive into that, I always like to start at the very beginning and talk about you, talk about who you were as a little Erica, what your experience was like, how did you know you were highly sensitive? Did you identify, did you have the word empath or were you like most of us and we're told that you were just being too sensitive and overreacting and taking things too personally? Tell me about your childhood. (laughs) Wow, great question. I did not have the term empath in my vocabulary. And yes, I was told that I was too sensitive. I was too much, took things too personally. I was a very, I would say I was a very bright child. I was very, uh, oh, in some ways outgoing, in some ways, um, no, I would say I was mostly outgoing. I was very excited about things. I loved to make art. I loved nature. But I was definitely, yeah, very, very sensitive, very emotional, uh, which was much harder as I as I got older, you know, became a teenager. And I did not have the understanding or support of the people around me for my my sensitivity. I definitely didn't know how to express myself in a way that honored, you know, my sensitivity while also upholding and appreciating that sometimes it, it, it's hard. It's hard to be around a sensitive person who doesn't have a grasp on their abilities. You know, I've, I later on in life, um, I, when I did start learning about what it means to be an empath, I, I learned this phrase that an empath without boundaries is a liability. Mm-hmm. 
with boundaries is a superpower. So yes. I never learned, I never learned boundaries no. until much later. And so I, my, my, my abilities were very much a, li- a liability. You know, I, I didn't know, you know, I, I joke that it's like, if I had been sent off to Hogwarts, I would have had a much different experience cultivating my, my sensitivity, my abilities, but unfortunately I wasn't. So I had to learn the hard way, the messy way. You know, I very frequently got very overwhelmed. I struggled with depression. I was, I was medicated for depression by I think age 15. Oh my goodness. I was 18 when I, or I, I actually, I think I was, I was seven, almost 18 when I started getting medicated for depression, but 15. Yeah. Yeah. Holy. I was, I was going through a hard time. I mean, I, I've been traveling since I was five years old and with my family, uh, they worked for the U S government. So by age five, I was living in India by age 12. I was living in Paris by age 21. I was living in Singapore and you know, it was a great way to grow up, but it was also very ungrounding. You know, I would be thrown into these different cultures. And then just as I sort of found my sea legs, kind of got grounded, then I would be transplanted to another place, another culture. So, you know, by the time I was a teenager, I felt very lost. I felt very confused. I felt very overwhelmed. I was coming back to the United States after living in France. And I just remember this sense of like, like just not fitting in, but in this like incredibly painful way where it just felt like, you know, everyone else had grown up knowing each other, you know, they had their groups of friends, they had their cliques. And then here I was coming in feeling like this, you know, total alien, not knowing who I was, like what my place was, what my purpose was, like just feeling in a lot of ways, just feeling like useless and lost. And so that led me into a depression. (laughs) And it was understandably. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and my, my, my family, the people around me, they didn't, they didn't know how to, to hold that. Like they, they, they weren't equipped like, you know, I'm really grateful that, that you teach people about what it means to be empathic, you know, and how to hold and handle ourselves and, and also how to hold and handle others, you know, uh, because nobody, nobody had that education when I was a, a person forming. So I think that's something I feel really grateful for now that I have learned more about what it means to be an empath that, you know, going forward, I know how to hold myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also I know how to hold others. You know, I, I, I hope one day to have the experience of, of being a mother and just how that would affect understanding that like all children, all people have certain sensitivities and it, there's not one way of learning. There's not one way of doing things. There's not one way of like reading and understanding reality. There's not one way of like, of processing the information from the world around us and just really holding that with a lot of respect. Um, yeah. I know that's something I really would have appreciated. Well, and I've been listening to, I've been talking about it all over the place lately because I've been listening to a book um, called Mother Hunger by this woman, Kelly McDaniel. And she's really talking about, you know, it's her whole book is about attachment theories and also about um, co-regulation of our nervous system. And the thing is a mother's job you know, from the time that a baby is conceived and is in utero to about the time that a baby is weaned and, or is taking their first couple steps, like as a toddler, a mother's job is that she functions as their nervous system. And she is co-regulating like a baby does not have a nervous system that functions on its own. 
And so as mothers, our job, or I mean, I'm not a mother, nor do I play one on TV, (laughs) but as mothers, the job is, you know, to be the nervous system, both for self and for that baby. And that is, you know, if we think about how dysregulated so many mothers and women's nervous systems have been for thousands of years, it just strikes me that all of this work that you've been doing for the last number of years is really preparing you to give your child the greatest gift you can give them, which is a regulated nervous system. Wow. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm glad that you touched on this, this concept of a regulated nervous system. It's been coming up for me as like, yes, when I, when I look at the times when I had the most problems, even, even recently, I I'm just returning from travels, my travels. I was just in Bali, Indonesia for two months. I came back with like a really dysregulated nervous system after all the travel. Yes. Uh, and so I feel like so much of the work that I have to do now that I'm getting grounded or even looking back on my travels that I could have done better is just to regulate my nervous system. Like that's just kind of the foundation of the work. I think that we need to do as empaths, as humans, I think whether or not you identify as a highly sensitive person or uh, an empath, like I think we all have nervous systems and we all know what it's like to be exhausted, strung out, overworked. In fact, I was just listening to this, this book called rest is resistance. Yes. Uh, Yes, right? from the nap yeah. ministry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, and talking about how, like, the system that we live in is literally designed to push us to our limits, like to push mm-hmm. us to the point of breaking down with this idea that we need to sort of prove our value by constantly being productive. And especially for an empath, that's, that's, that's horrific, you know, because it's we, lethal. Lethal. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say it's almost like a death sentence. Um, to think that we have to constantly be doing and performing and producing in order to have value. I mean, especially as an empath, I mean, that, that will, that will kill us mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. emotionally, physically. And it's no wonder so many people, you know, are overwhelmed and strung out and it's just, we're not taught how to regulate our nervous systems. And we are living within a system that is essentially encouraging us to break ourselves yeah. in order to be successful. Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, it's such a lie because even if you look at the people who are really prospering, they, the people who really prosper and and really like do incredibly well, usually know how to delegate. They know what their priorities are. And it's like, we have this work ethic that keeps people like stuck and in the hamster wheel, but it's not even the myth of being self-made and, and like that, if you just work hard enough, you're going to get there. It's not even true. And yet it absolutely keeps people disempowered. But I want to, I actually want to go back to, because I'm really curious, like, so you kind of were socialized or was, were raised in the idea of traveling all the time. Like this was almost like, you know, it's kind of like being raised in like sort of like a family, like, you know, a family of actors where you're inevitably going to end up in show business. And so it sounds like you were like, it's almost like travel was kind of like the thing that was presented to you. And I'm curious, like, when did it go from just being the thing that you were doing with your family? And just kind of being at the whims of your family to making the decision to be a traveler yourself. Does that question make sense? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I think there was some overlap. Uh, I would say the first time I went traveling by myself, I was 23 years old and I went to Thailand. Now, this was facilitated by the fact that I was living with my dad in Singapore, uh, which is, you know, this Asian metropolis. And so to get to Thailand, all I had to do was get on a bus and go north. And, and I was there the next morning, you know, an overnight bus. So so I had sort of a springboard of already being internationally located with my father. And that's what gave me the, the sort of like the stepping stone to step off and start my own adventure. And that was that was groundbreaking because, you know, when I do travel, when I have traveled with my family, you know, it, it's it's a different experience and I'm traveling on my own, you know, especially as an empath, you know, when I'm with others, I'm sort of, I'm linked to them. I'm, I'm locked into them and, you know, their desires and their plans. And a lot of times, you know, if I'm, if I'm with someone, I'm sort of, a lot of times if they know more than me, like say for a parent, I'm relying on them to like, okay, how do we get from point A to point B? Who buys the tickets? Of course, they're buying the tickets. They're navigating us. I'm just sort of like following along. Now, when I go off on my own, now, and I think this is why traveling alone, especially traveling alone as a woman, traveling alone as a woman, as an empath is so both terrifying and liberating because mm -hmm. I'm no longer hitching my wagon to someone else's lead. You know, I, it's now up to me to decide, okay, first of all, where do I want to go? What do I want? First of all, what interests me? You know, where, what is my North star? What's guiding me? Because I'm no longer being guided by this person that I was sort of attached to. I'm now charting the course for myself. So, you know, that that can bring up a lot of feelings of fear, of insecurity, of like, I don't even like like for many years, I, my 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 complaint, this was this was before traveling was it was just the sense of like, well, I don't know what I want. Someone else give me my answers. Where should I go to college? What should I do with my life? Like, what's my purpose? And so getting out on the road by myself in Thailand was so empowering because it was like me and myself. And I could choose to be with other people, but I wasn't attached to anyone in the ways that I had been in the past. So I was really getting to, yeah, just have that dialogue with myself and my own heart about what was calling to me, you know? So that was the first trip uh, when I was 23. I went backpacking by myself for about two months in Thailand. And I fell in love with this French guy on this trip. And he was traveling in India. So I then followed him to India and spent... Gosh, I can't even remember how long it was. It was it was two months in India. Maybe it was like a month in Thailand and then two months in India. And then on that trip, uh, I just I realized, you know, two months seems like a like a long time to be in a place. But being in India for two months is like it's just barely scratching the surface. It's yeah. such a magnificent country with so much to offer. And so I knew I had this great, you know, talking about, you know, being an empath and, you know, how like an intuition. I had this intuitive hit that just came it landed on my shoulders. It was this undeniable knowing that I needed at some point in my life to come back to India and spend six months traveling by myself. No boyfriend, no nothing. I needed to come back to India by myself for six months. And I just, I, okay, cool. Great. And I, I went, I, I went back, uh, I moved uh, from there. I moved back to the United States. I went to New York city. I went to college, you know, life took me. I moved to Los Angeles. I, I started my career as an actress. Shortly after I moved to Boston and I got a job and I started the grind and just kind of doing life. And it wasn't until eight years later that my sister told me that she was pregnant. And this news, it was great. You know, your sibling tells you she's pregnant. It was great. 
But also it was like this big shock because this promise I had made to myself to go to India for six months by myself, it just popped right up. And I just, because again, I'm such an empath. I was feeling everything and I'm feeling my sister because she's pregnant. It felt like, like I was getting pregnant and mm-hmm. my life flashing before my eyes. And so suddenly this, this, this dream, this knowing that I had to go do this thing came right up in my face. And so I decided that, all right, it's now or never. So that from, from having this sort of like stable grounded life in Boston, you know, um, I decided essentially to, to explode it all, move out of my apartment, give away my stuff, like just, just kind of dynamite my life as it was and go traveling to India for six months. And so that was uh, on my 29th birthday. Wow. So right at, right at the culmination of essentially your Saturn return. It was my Saturn return. I went to My Saturn return took me to India for six months by myself, traveling alone as a woman. Yeah. And it was, I mean, it was a a groundbreaking earth changing trip. You know, there's, there there are no words for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, after, after I came back from that trip, I think I was, I was pretty shaken up, like in a lot of ways, like I wasn't sure what was real, what, what Mm -hmm. do I I couldn't go back to the life that I was living before. And so I had a, a series of, of a few more travels. So well, the way I would do it is I would work really hard in the summer. By this point, I had become uh, a photographer. I was I became an award-winning headshot photographer in Boston. So I served actors because I'd been involved in the acting community. I also was serving the business community. You know, everybody needs a LinkedIn headshot. So I was, I made it my my niche to do these like really high quality headshots. And so I would work really hard during the summer, save up my money, and then I would take that money and I would go traveling during the winter. So I did this successively for, for many years until, yeah, actually, actually until quite recently, until pretty much till COVID hit. And by that time, I had actually arrived at the place that I'm now calling home, which is Guatemala, which if you had told me, you know, back when I, back when I was starting this, this, this adventure that I would end up living in Guatemala, I just, I wouldn't have believed you. First of all, I wouldn't even know where Guatemala was like, you know, <laughs> So it was it was a series of of different different years going different places as as we mentioned India, Thailand, Indonesia. Um, I went to Egypt, and then after Egypt, I ended up in Guatemala, and then this is apparently where I'm now calling home. And I've I've never been happier. I I have I have no remorse, no regret about not living in the U.S. In fact, I I was I mentioned I was just traveling, and I stopped back through the U.S. in New Jersey on the way back home, and. Honestly, it was pretty stressful to be there. And yeah. I, I was pretty, I was pretty excited to, to get back to Guatemala, you know, especially now as a, as an empath, I, I, I really, I mean, you know, I, I feel things so strongly and going from these different cultures, you know, stepping from one culture into another, there's like, there's such a palpable difference. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of the thing, I mean, I've got so, you've said so many amazing things and I want to talk about India, but one of the things that I've heard a lot of people talk about is like when you come after you've been in an environment where it's not as like hyped as America is, that just even the shock of going into the grocery store. And I've had the experience of even like being at festivals and gatherings where I'm living off the grid for a couple of weeks and where everything is just really simple. And suddenly it's like, there is nothing quite like walking into a superstore with all of the like fluorescent lights and the aisle upon aisle upon aisle upon aisle of like processed food and produce. And it's like, it is shock, you know, like 
just all of these choices get so overwhelming. And I, I just imagine that you're return, you know, you're coming back from these countries that just are approaching life in such a different way. And America really is like, like the excess is just spe- spectacular. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. In fact, yeah, the grocery store is such a great example of the sort of like the different cultural systems. Like when I'm yeah. in Asia, you know, when I, I was just in Bali, I would get my produce or my fruits from there's like a little old lady with the stand with the yeah. vegetables and you go there and you see what's fresh. Right. And some stand like like here in Guatemala, there's like the little old lady who always has the mushrooms. And there's like this lady has like the best zucchini. Right. And so so you you get to know the the, the people, the women in the marketplace. And, and it, it's a whole sort of cultural experience where you're interacting with humans. And, you know, I like to spend a little with different women to kind of spread the abundance around because I know that I'm supporting them and their families. And there's just this like really sort of human experience. And then yes. when I'm in the United States, it's like, yeah, you go into Whole Foods. I was in Whole Foods with my sister. And I was like, I picked up a pair of slippers and they were $40. I was like, oh my, oh my Lord. I like put them down. I was like, chill. Like, yeah. And you know, the fluorescent lights and, and just, you know, it's, it's a different experience. It's neither right. It's, it's not right nor wrong. It's just mm-hmm. a very different experience. Very and different. I, I find that I I really connect deeply with this sort of like very intimate human experience of the marketplace in these yeah. other countries, much more so than the grocery store, you know, these big corporate conglomerates and, you know, all, like you said, all the processed food that's ever like everything is wrapped in plastic. Every single vegetable you buy, like comes wrapped in a plastic bag, you know, it's right. You know, now that I've, li- I've really seen other places, you know, I, I can see things differently for what they are. And it's like, whoa, that system is, first of all, not sustainable, <laughs> not sustainable, not the kindest way to interact with our resources. Like, uh, I mean, I, I could go on and on about yeah, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I love how you're just really acknowledging that, you know, it's, it's different, you know, that not necessarily passing a value judgment, but just acknowledging it is different. So I want to ask you, some questions about India. So one of the things that ever since I was a really small person that I've heard from people about India is, oh my God, there is so much suffering. There is so much misery. There is so much poverty. There is so much like, just, it's so hard. And essentially it's a very hard place for empaths to go because of the misery. And I'm curious, and and I think that this is, I mean, India is kind of like representation, like it sort of has almost like it's, I don't know, like it's kind of got a stereotype of like, there are beggars in the streets and it's going to be really hard. But I think it's, this is in many ways true with any kind of traveling of that exposure to misery. But I'm curious, what is like, and as well as the other quote, the other thing that I think is sort of a rumor or like one of like the myths of traveling. One is that as a woman, it's not safe to travel alone, that you are, you know, that there are predators out there and that you're vulnerable to, you know, being like all kinds of dastardly nefarious things happening. And then also that idea of like, you know, culture shock and picking up all of the intensity, the suffering from the world around you. I wonder how much of that is like propaganda and how much of it is actually like, like, like in your experience traveling, like, where does that land? You know, and I know I just threw two kind of concepts out at you, but in some ways it feels like they're, it's the same category. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So 
I think when it comes to traveling, the first thing to really understand is that there is a lot of fear mongering, especially yeah. when traveling alone. There's this, this sense of like, it's not safe out there. Right. They're, they're coming for you. There are predators everywhere ready to take advantage of you. And yeah, you're going to get kidnapped the next thing you know. You're going yeah. to, you know, especially going to India, everyone, oh, you're going to get groped. You're going to, you know, like you're, you're right. And um, like, yeah, like, well, yes, like that is, that is true. Uh, that's also true for anywhere you are in the world. I mean, yeah. you can be unsafe in the United States. Just get on the subway. Right. <laughs> and so, you're so going to get, it's not, and it's not really a matter of like, like the threat being outside of the United States. I mean, I think that there is, it, it's warranted to say that there is both safety and danger anywhere you go. So it's yes. not a matter of the world. It's a matter of, I maintain of how you hold yourself in mm-hmm. your So I mentioned before this quote about an empath without boundaries is a liability. An empath with boundaries is a superpower. So I would say that India is a really, really powerful classroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yes, it is both full of misery, but it's also full of incredible beauty. It's both the sacred and the profane. And I had to learn a lot of hard lessons in India, especially because I am an empath and because I feel so strongly, you know, um, that's something that can be used against you. You know, there were, there are many scams that run on, on misery. Oh, look at this misery, do something for me, give me money. Right. And so, uh, I was definitely conned because I was feeling so intensely for people and, oh my God, and I want to help and I want to save everyone. And, and I, and I was, I was taken, I was definitely taken advantage of, taken advantage of for that. So I think, you know, um, the most important thing I would say as a, as a woman traveling alone, as a woman, just being in the world, as a sensitive person being in the world, most important thing I had to learn in India, especially, was really learning to trust what I feel above see, mm-hmm. right? So I had to learn about using my intuition to really read things on the level of like, what is my gut response to this situation versus like kind of what is at the surface level? Because the surface level can play with you like, whoa. But if I'm not attuned to what feels aligned and correct inside, I'm going to be taken, I'm going to be taken for a ride, right? So whether traveling or at home in the US, the most important thing for a woman or any any being is just to recognize when do you feel uncomfortable? Like right. what what is making me feel uncomfortable? This person actually makes me feel uncomfortable. I can't put my finger on it, but there's something not right about the situation. Yes, they're saying all the right things. Yes, everything looks fine on the surface, but there's something about this that doesn't seem right. Okay, do not proceed. Do not get into a cab with that person. Do not accept like a food or or, or drink from that person. Like like these sort of like basic things. If something mm-hmm. doesn't look right, don't walk down that street. You know, and I think this is something, especially for women. Like you know, we want to please everyone. We want to exactly. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want like no. India taught me to be like no no, like back off, like, no, like, no. Mm-hmm. So is it like learning how to, use, like, if, if I go out into the world and I'm afraid to use my no, mm-hmm. I am likely to take, to be taken advantage of than if I can go out into the world and be like, like, no, this situation makes me feel uncomfortable. No, I will not engage with you. No, I will not shop from you. No, I will not give you. No, I will not. Right. And, you know, not to say that we're going out into the world being these like cold, heartless, you know, Mm-mm. bitches. There, there is always place to help others. There's always a place to extend generosity. There's always a place to be of service. It's just cultivating that discernment of 
where is this actually helping versus where am I enabling some scam, enabling some victim story? You know, there's is a very there's a big difference between empowering someone to step up and take care take into, into take care of themselves versus playing into their sob story that which is actually their job. Like you know, right. you have you have people who are literally like their work is to go out and get people to give money out of sympathy. In fact, they have horrifying stories of people actually mutilating children because it makes people feel more bad for them. So they'll give them money. Right. So I think the most important thing is, as an empath is really cultivating this sense of discernment. Yes. Right? And that is applicable, whether you're in India or in New York city or, you know, in Maine, you know, wherever you are, wherever you are. Right. So ultimately, this is what I tell people is like, you are at the center of your experience. If you go out feeling scared and, oh my God, they're going to get me. And someone's waiting around the corner and like, just, just stepping into the world with this sense of like this victimhood fear, like you're going to be taken advantage of like, great. You're, you're probably going to step into some situations that are going to fulfill that story that you're telling. When I go out into the world, my beliefs are I'm meeting good people. Help is going to be there when I need it. I can handle this. I just have to take one step at a time. I just have to hold and handle like what's in front of me now. And I get to where I'm going. When I was leaving for Bali for my trip, which at the time of this recording, I've I've just recently returned from, I remember one woman was commenting. She's like, you're not safe. You're not safe. Like the American government says, don't travel. Like you're not safe. And she was like, so convinced that like, I was not safe going out into the Mm. world. And then there I was going to Bali and like everywhere, like I did not meet one malicious person. Everyone I met was like happy to see me. You know, everyone, that's also something now that we're more in like these post COVID times, like there was this intense sense of gratitude of like, thank you so much for visiting our country. Like, thank you so much for coming. Like, thank you so much. Like we were starving, right? Like I literally Mm. met, I met a man who like so, so many of these countries rely on tourism, you know, places like, like Bali, which is a beautiful place. Right. And so during COVID, the tourists, the tourism just dried up. And so this man was telling me that to survive, he, he went down to the beach and ate little fish because Mm. he was hungry because there was no work. Mm. So going out now, like, like, I would say now is a great time to travel, especially to these, these beautiful places. People are so grateful. They're so excited. They're so appreciative. Right. And so that's what I encountered. I encountered grateful, generous, smiling, kind people who were happy to see me, happy to help me, like eager to give me a good price on some like beautiful dress. Like, like I had a wonderful time. I had a wonderful time, you know? And so the fear, the fear that that woman was warning me against was really only in her own mind that had been projected from a system that wants to keep people afraid, wants to keep them controlled, keep them down, keep them in one small place. Right. But that's not where our, I mean, for me, I think my path, my spiritual growth happens, you know, at the edge of my comfort zone. It happens out in the world, not not in a safe little cubicle space where things are like predictable and safe. Like the journey, the adventure is something that grows me. You know, it grows my ability to discern. It grows my ability to trust myself, to trust what I'm feeling. It grows my ability to empathize, understand and have compassion for people who are different than myself. You know, it expands my perspective on the world. I mean, the, the traveling I've done is the greatest gift. 
I am, I own land. I'm building a home. I have a wonderful community. You know, I would say one of the biggest differences between, you know, I was just in New Jersey, uh, you know, in this little suburban neighborhood. And in a lot of ways, I felt like I'm, I was suffocating. Right. And then now I come back to Guatemala. I'm in the mountains. I'm surrounded by hummingbirds. I've already seen a hummingbird pass in front of me during this interview. You know, I'm, there's such a different uh, sense of, of life here. And that's because I, I found through my travels, through my seeking, through following the call of my heart, I found a place that feels really, really good for me. And that doesn't yeah. mean that someone can come here and have the same experience. No, like I believe everyone has to go on their own journey, their own adventure to find the treasure of their own heart. And ultimately that's what my story is an example of. That's what I've done is I've followed that subtle calling, that gentle knowing, that illogical, intuitive nudge out into the world on a path that didn't make sense. And it led me home. Mm. Mm. Oh, Erica, you are just so much of what you're saying. I really want to, you've said this a number of times, and I just really want to pull this out. An empath without boundaries is a liability. An empath with boundaries is a superpower. And that what I'm really hearing you say is that the difference between traveling as a people pleaser and as a boundaryless younger person versus traveling in your sovereignty, traveling in your discernment, traveling with you know what your no is, what an incredible difference it is. You spoke about noticing that being in Bali for a couple, you know, like coming back from Bali, you realized that your nervous system was really dysregulated. And I think, you know, in my experience, just because we recognize that we're empaths and we start doing the work doesn't mean that we don't have to keep doing the work. <laughs> like we're susceptible still. What will you do differently to maintain, like, why do you think your nervous system dysregulated the way that it did? And what would you, you know, what would you do differently? What did you learn from this last trip? Yeah, great question. So I think the very nature of travel is it's very dysregulating, right? Yes. It takes away our routine. It takes away the things that make us feel safe and secure, right? It throws everything in the air like confetti and it, you know, enjoy, like, haha, fun. Like, and at first that can be really exciting, right? All these new things. Oh my gosh, all these different things to experience. Wow, it can be just exciting is the word. Mm -hmm. And I think that my my biggest error in my travels was that with so many changes, with so many things I wanted to do and experience and then just changing schedules and, you know, uh, is I let my meditation practice slip. So uh. that, that sort of core grounding practice. So when I got back, I just attended a three day silent meditation retreat at my community home space called Karuna here in Guatemala. And that just, wow, just, wow, just kind of just put me right back on track. And I really got to see that you know, when I'm, when my mind is not well, when, when I don't have that strong foundation of meditation, I'm much more likely to get dysregulated with, with the changes that I'm going through. So I would say that, you know, when it comes to travel, when again, travel, it's, it's, it's a metaphor for life, you know, that just maneuvering the changing tides of life, you know, because not, nothing in life is going to be fixed. And change is, is the change is the only thing that's certain. The only true constant is change. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, so I mean, I think that's what ultimately what we're maneuvering when we travel is we're maneuvering changing landscapes, changing time zones, changing languages, changing cultures, changing food. Cha like everything's changed. You're in a constant sea of change. So, like, how do you ground yourself and regulate yourself amidst that? 
So I now have just the most profound and deep appreciation that meditation needs to be the foundation upon which all other practices are built. Any, any coaching, any program, any curriculum, any, any food, any diet is a waste of time and energy and effort. If it's not built on a foundation of slowing down and training my mind to get to that calm centered space, Mm -hmm. I can do. There's no plant medicine. There's no ceremony. There's no, there's no, there's no nothing that replaces the efficacy and importance of just the most basic meditation. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's one is I would have been a lot more committed to my meditation practice amidst all the things I was excited about, you know, and that's something uh, uh, they mentioned in in one 12 step program is like, one of the things we have to guard ourselves against is excitement. You know, when I'm excited, I don't make the best choices. Right. So Guarding myself against that excitement of all the new and wonderful, shiny things around me when I travel and just making it that priority to slow down and meditate yes. every single day. I would say that is the foundation. Without that, there is no nervous system regulation, you know, or at least not, not to the degree that it can be achieved with that consistent practice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's one. Oh, you know, I think also, you know, we talked about the, the book Rest is Resistance. I really think that rest is really undervalued in our culture. Yes, um, especially like, you know, traveling and changing and all the things it can be, again, very exciting of like, oh, I want to go see this thing and I want to do this and I should do this because I'm here and I need to maximize, you know, my time. I need to get, I need to get the most out of it. Yes. You know, this sense of like, I have to go and do everything now right away. And because I'm here, you know, and so I think that's a really um, faulty approach because it sets us up for that overwhelm. Mm-hmm. Regulation, mm-hmm. you know, exhaustion. So again, I think, you know, slowing down, resting more, carving out those times. Like, so when I went to New Jersey, I, I was with family and I was both tired and being really like taxed by, by my family. And like my, the, you know, I have this, this desire to want to show up for them and, you know, do things and participate. And so Again, I think this is an example of where like the boundary issue can make you either be like a gift to the people you're around or a liability. So, you know, a boundary in this case can be like, I have a boundary of I carve out 20, 30 minutes for myself in the morning. No, I'm not available to do that. I need to meditate. No, I'm not available. I really want to take a hot bath right now. Like, so instead of trying to like people please everyone, like, oh, I need to be there. I should be there for them all the time. Recognizing, hey. I actually really need to do this for myself if I'm going to be balanced. Really also appreciating like, why do we do it? Why do we balance ourselves? It's so that I can actually be like a good person to Mm -hmm. be around. So I can actually like not cause harm because when I'm dysregulated, when my mind is a mess, when I'm not grounded, I'm much more likely to lash out, say something I don't mean or say something that I regret, speak from anger, speak from a place of just like flustered frustration. So, you know, it's like, Anything that I can do to slow down, to come back to my quiet center and to just spend that time sort of repairing my, my split ends from traveling, you know, take, making that a practice and then stepping into the circle with the people I love, then stepping into relationship, then making videos like, and not like making that the priority. Like I was prioritizing other things, like getting to the thing, doing this, spending time, showing up, doing this bubble, doing the, all of the, and it's like, my priorities weren't in the right place. And so that's, I think, why, why I crashed a little bit 
But that was also a really great lesson because I'm, I'm grateful because it really showed me, hey, this is why I have to make this my practice because yes. without it, I'm a mess yeah. and I'm much more likely to harm people. And I don't want to do that. Well, and I'm really sort of, I'm thinking in some ways it's like traveling with FOMO. And I think that the way that we're taught to travel is with this FOMO, you know, experience. And I can so relate to the cramming absolutely everything in. It's like, I'm only ever going to be in this part of France once in my entire life. Therefore, I have to go do this and this and this and this and this and how exhausting it is. And then by the time we're two or three days in, we're just not experiencing it. Like there's no soulful there's no depth of experience. Like you might be going through the motions, but you're not having the real experience because it's, we're, we're disconnected. A thought that keeps coming to my mind as we're talking is many, many years ago, I was listening to a researcher and a lecturer who spent time with the Aboriginal people in Australia. And he talked about how the Aborigines would sing these songs to like of becoming and these songs of traveling to the landscape and to all of the life that they're entering into. Like it's part of sort of this, and they have these songs and they sing to everything as they acknowledge and greet it, as they come into the presence of it and awareness of it. And they have these like ancient ancestral songs they sing. And at one point, like he was with them in a bus or something. And it was like, these people were like singing their song. And as the car started or the bus started, they started to speed up their song. And I, that really struck me deeply because I thought there is a natural rhythm within the human body for moving and being able to assimilate, moving from one location to another. But as we have gone from, you know, first we went from our own locomotion to horses and other animals that could help us move a little bit more effectively and faster. And then we went from that to like, you know, like horse-drawn carriages and then to actually like combustion engines and cars and trains and things like that. And now we are at the point where it's like we can get up in a plane we can literally have our roots ripped out from, you know, from the earth that we're standing on and get thrown like across halfway across the world. And I really wonder, as I was wondering as you're speaking, how much of the dysregulation is also because of the way we can travel now, that we're traveling at such rapid, rapid paces that our bodies do not have the opportunity to kind of like adapt and adjust as we move. And so I was actually wondering, as you were saying, like your very first travel experience was you got on a train and you rode from Singapore to Thailand. And I was thinking you stayed, you were in a train and you, and it took hours, like overnight, probably what, eight, 12 hours to get there. And I was sort of thinking like, how different was that experience? Than you know, basically getting thrown into a tin can and hurtling across the you know across continents and going from Bali to New Jersey. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, it reminds me of a trip that I did many years ago when I was in Australia. I did a road trip from the very southernmost point in Australia to the north. It was a nine-day road trip, and we drove through these different uh, landscapes, and it went from being like very wet and cold into the desert where it became very red and dry. And then ultimately when we got to the North, it was like luscious and sort of almost tropical. And I'll never forget that experience of 
driving and really noticing these subtle shifts in the landscape, which if you compare that to how, as you said, how we're traveling today, you get into a tin can, they, they launch you across the planet and you end up in a completely different ecosystem, a completely different, you know, temperate climate, you know, a, just energetically, everything is so different, like instantly. So, you know, I think that especially for an empath, that can be a very jarring experience. Very, yeah. Very jarring. You know, if you, you add that plus the, the time change. So, you know, I was going to essentially the other side of the world where day is night, night is day, my body. So I recall quite clearly when I first got to Bali, you know, again, first it's very exciting. And then, you know, day two, day three, as, as sort of, it's starting to really sort of like the adrenaline of the experience is starting to wear off. And I'm really starting to feel how my body feels. And I've had to learn. It's almost like being with like a little child where you, you start noticing like, wow, Hey, you seem like you starting like the child is starting to get like irritable and mm-hmm. cranky, and it's like actually the kid is just tired and needs a nap. Yeah, so I've really learned that especially when arriving in a place after such a big a big jarring sort of um, trip, it's so important again as I mentioned to slow down and rest. So and also just to have also that that sort you know yes we're discerning things about the world around us but also cultivating that discernment of my own inner world and my own inner landscape of like, honey, you seem tired. I, there was a time when I was like, just start, I was getting triggered. I was, start, I was like really frustrated by the traffic. Everything was just feeling really loud and overwhelming. It was like, oh my God. And yet, you know, there's still the sense of like, no, I have to go out and I have to do this. And I have to see this and I have to go do everything. But it's like, honey, I think you actually need to go back to your room and take a nap. Like I needed a nap a bath and a good meal. Like that's what I needed not to see everything and do everything. So so I would say the best thing I can take with me when I travel is an attitude of compassion and gentleness and patience for myself in the experience. Because if I'm going out and holding myself to some high standard of, I have to, again, produce, achieve, do everything, kind of wring the last drop out of the experience. And I'm much more likely to be setting myself up for some sort of like emotional breakdown. Yes. If I, okay, I'm going to do this one thing and now I'm going to go back and rest. And so this was actually something very different. When I was in Bali three years ago before COVID, I was, I was much less generous with myself, much less patient with myself. And I was pushing myself to the extreme, always trying to, you know, milk the day for every drop that it was worth. And I was ending up, you know, overwhelmed, exhausted, triggered angry, sad, you know, all of, all of the stuff was coming up. And this time I had a very different experience because I really let myself slow down a lot more. I fed myself better. You know, a lot last time I was, I was much more scared of finances. And so I wouldn't be like, I would, I, okay, what's the cheapest thing I can give myself? Like I wouldn't Mm. treat very well. So this time, you know, I took myself out to a nice meal I went to the spa, which, you know, in a place like Bali, it's, you know, we're talking about like a $10 expense, you know? So uh, I would, I would go to the spa. I would give myself a nice meal. I would do this thing where I would go out. I was, I was participating a lot in 12 step meetings when I was in Bali They have a wonderful recovery scene. So I would go to my meeting in the morning and then instead of trying to figure out, okay, what am I going to do with this day in the heat of the day? And it was just so oppressively hot. Instead of pushing myself to go do something fantastic in the heat of the day, I would go back to my room and I would take a nap. And that was great. Mm-hmm. 
greatest gift I could give myself. And then mm-hmm. I would go out, then I would do something and it's not so hot. So I think that's just the importance of really just noticing when I'm becoming dysregulated is the first step, right? Noticing those, those small signs, not waiting till I'm having like a big emotional breakdown, you know, not waiting till the breakdown to like do something, but recognizing those small steps along the way, just like I would if like, if I, if I had a child, like you recognize, okay, honey, you sound hungry. You sound tired. So instead of just taking like the face value of the behavior, understanding like the underlying need that's not being met and making it a priority to meet my needs rather than to go see all the things and do the things and have the best time ever. Right. (laughs) Right. Well, and as you're speaking about 12 steps, you know, there's halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Recognizing what's going on with us. And you just gave me, you just like, you just put some pieces together for me because in my experience with traveling, I in general would absolutely hit my meltdown wall at about two to three days in wherever I was going. And I was absolutely engaging in this behavior where I'd get to wherever I was, I would be so excited, I would be like doubling down on all the activity. And then essentially I'd hit my wall and would absolutely, and I would just spin, like I would, I would spin out. And one of the very last times I went traveling, I was really struck by how different the experience was. But what I'm realizing is I was taking such better care of myself and pacing myself better. But I'm also thinking like, oh yeah, instead of like getting to a new place and expecting ourselves to just like like hit the ground running. What if we take a day and a half, two days to assimilate, to land, to rest, to be calm, and to let ourselves arrive instead of this idea of that we just, you know, that we just have to like make the most out of everything? Because I know if I don't deal early, then I can't sustain the trip. Like I will have to, I have, there were, when I was younger, I would have to leave. Like I would get someplace and I would hit my wall of meltdown at about the day three or four. And I would literally have to change my plane ticket to get out of there because I would be in such a state of distress and dysregulation. And I'm loving just the putting, I'm putting pieces together in terms of just like, even just the reality or the logistics of like, no, do it this way. And it's not going to be nearly as impossible. It's it's much more sustainable. Like, and again, this is an example of how, you know, we're talking about travel, but we're also talking about life. What we, what we do, what we want to do, the experiences we're having are much more sustainable if we're taking care of ourselves. Yes. We're not, if we're making our self-care the priority and not people pleasing, not maximizing production and efficiency, right? Not pushing ourselves to the extreme, trying to meet some sort of like external standard of what success should look like, you know, Um, when we really, yeah, give ourselves that loving, tender care, especially when we're feeling excited, especially when we want to, you know, do all the things like making it that practice of like coming back, prioritizing rest. You know, I, I had this experience, I was in Mexico I got this beautiful hotel room at this this museum, actually, this Mm. um, house of the Jaguar. I loved this place so much. And yet, you know, I have a big regret because I I did the thing where I had to like go out and run all over town and see all the things and go do this and that. And it's like, yeah. And I remember just like breaking down in the garden and just crying and just being, I want to go home. And it's just like, if I could go back, 
I would, you know what? I'm just going to spend a day in my hotel room. Just like this place is beautiful anyways, just like resting, maybe just wandering around the gardens, you know, not trying to like get out. Maybe I'll go to a restaurant across the street. Just keep my, I wish I just had kept my radius really small, just at mm-hmm. least day, you know, mm-hmm. and just make the most of where I am because, you know, it's like wherever you go there you are and yet there's always it seems like there's always someplace else to be and so it's like okay you've arrived at this place now be fully there like be fully in your hotel room like okay you're in a new place like enjoy it you know because I, I I saw myself always trying to get to the next thing always but then when I got to the next thing I couldn't be there because I wanted to get to the next to the next thing exactly so there's really it's really this practice of like be fully where you are be with your breath, be with your body, listen to your body. What does your body need? Does your body need rest? Does it need a bath? Does it need food? Does it need hydration? You know, does it need movement? No, no, I can't, I can't do movement because I have to go do that. Like I, like there's this this sense of like the mind putting all of these expectations and these standards and these like, well, I have to do, I can't take care of myself because I have to go do this. And it's like, really? So also making a question of like, practicing like what do I really have to do why do I really have to do that according to whose standards do I need to go see the Eiffel Tower today you know like right like whose idea is this anyway so yeah oh Erica this conversation has been so rich and I can't believe how fast this conversation has whipped by we're almost at the top of the hour already and oh just so many jewels of wisdom I keep on I don't know if you've ever seen, there's a little YouTube video of this like little girl who's just like, she's probably like two and a half or three years old and she's losing it. She's just sobbing hysterically. And her brother goes and her slightly older brother looks at her and goes, have you had a nap today? And she goes, no, I didn't. And he just looks at her and goes, you need a nap. And (laughs) to me, like, I just, I think that that is one of the messages that like, sometimes it's like when all else fails, like, go take a nap people like, and I know for myself, like that is a lot of times, like I, I will avoid the nap. I've been avoiding naps since I was three. Like, I'm just like, I don't want to, but like, there's something to be said for taking a nap. So I really appreciate just you pulling that out and just being like, take a nap, peeps, take a nap. Yeah. You know, and as a practice, you know, we think of like these spiritual practices being like very highly engaged. And that was actually one of the greatest practices I learned in Bali. Um, I was working with a woman doing voice activation and womb activation work. I mean, they're both so connected. And part of the practice was was just laying down and putting one hand on my heart and one hand on my womb. Mm-hmm. And I find, you know, sometimes there's this expectation of the nap, like, oh, I can't sleep. I need, okay. You know what? Don't worry about sleeping. Just lay, just lay down, let your body relax one hand on your heart, one hand on your womb or one hand on your belly and just breathe with yourself, you know, and just ask, just be in dialogue with yourself. Okay, honey, what's going on? What do you need? How are you? You know, what's up, you know, and then just, you know, we, we do, we spend so much time doing, especially with traveling. It's this big going out, going and doing and seeing, and it, you know, this very project, this energy that's very projecting outward, the nature of travel, right? Is we're projecting ourselves outward to have this new experience. So to incorporate these moments where it's like, hey, I'm just going to close my eyes for a second and just just kind of turn inwards and 
just be like make, change the energy to be like a receptive inward facing energy. You know, I spend this whole, I spent the whole day looking outward at all of these things. Okay. Now I'm going to spend some time looking inward and just breathing in that space and just allowing myself to receive any, any messages, any insights, you know, any ideas, Hey, I would really like some hot chicken soup for dinner, you know, like enough, enough salad, you know, give me, give me something hearty, you know, okay. That's a message from my body that when I listen to that, I'm going to feel a lot better, you know? So again, you know, it's, I'd say the ultimate lesson of when we travel or, you know, travel as a metaphor for life is just taking those moments to incorporate these practices that help bring us back to our center in this busy, fast paced world where there are a lot of people to please and a lot of things to see and a lot of things to discover and experience is taking those moments to come back home to myself. And that's what makes all the difference. Mm, mm, mm. So Erica, one of the questions I love to ask at the end of the interview is if you could go back in time, and I really believe that there's something about, about the power of these podcasts and, and just of interviews where we really can kind of fold the fabric of time back and, and send a message back to that former self. If you could go back to your struggling empath self, your young, maybe you identify as a former hot mess as well, but like that time of real struggle, what would you tell her? What is the message that she needed? And what would you send to her? Like, let's just imagine we're beaming it back right now. I would tell her, it's okay to feel how you feel. I understand. You're not bad. You're not broken. You're not wrong. And I would encourage her to go to the forest, to go spend time in nature, to put everything else down and just, just be with nature. Just be with the trees. Go to the water. Breathe gently. And tune into your own heart. You know, there are all these messages from the outside of what you should do or what you need or what other people want. And just slow down, tune into your own heart and see what she wants and then make it a priority to fulfill that and let the other stuff be. And just know that it's okay. And it's mm. all going to work out and you're safe. Mm. 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 Erica, this has been such a delicious, rich, like, marketplace of conversation it has been so good thank you so much for being with me so before i let you go how can people get in touch with you how can people find you how can they find your book what's your social handles yeah so my website is my name ericaderickson.com if you go there you can find the links to my book you can find links to my social media Um, the headquarters of my content where I put out fresh content every single day, documenting my journey here in Guatemala, building my house, you know, living as an empath, living as, you know, a woman living out loud in accordance with the call of her heart. Uh, you'd find that content on my Facebook page, Erica Derrickson. Um, you can find the link. It's pretty easy. Facebook.com slash with Erica. That's E-R-I-C-A. But on my website, you can also find my podcast, my blog. Um, you can, I have t-shirts. I have some, some gear, some merchandise from books and things I recommend. And yeah, 
I'm also on Instagram, though though not as active. Uh, but Facebook, I would say, my Facebook page is is the go to place to get connected with me and get more of my content. And, and your Facebook page is absolutely lovely. I really, I I really enjoyed when you were in um, the airport in Bali, and you were think yeah, and where you were dancing. Oh, the, yeah. oh, that was so sweet. That was just so incredibly sweet. And uh, yeah, I try and, to do dancing videos and I try to give people reminders of how to feel good, even in the face of what life throws at us. And, yeah. you know, dancing yeah. is one of the, great, the greatest ways. So when in doubt, have you napped today and have you danced today? Have you napped today and have you danced today? And people, if you are listening to this, all of these links are going to be in the show notes so that you can find Erica on Facebook, you can find her on her website, you can find her book, et cetera, et cetera. Erica, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and just to share your amazing and truly inspiring story. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. I really appreciate you having me here. I love the work that you're doing. You know, I wish I had found your book, you know, when I was a teenager, I think it would have saved me a lot of heartache. You know, I really hope everyone goes out there and reads it. I mean, I think you have so much to offer uh, people who are highly sensitive and empathic. And, you know, I think it's important that we support each other and then know that we're not alone. You know, there's nothing wrong with us. There's nothing bad. Like we have so many gifts. We have so many gifts to offer this world. It's just a matter of us, you know, keeping ourselves in a good state of mind, a good peaceful state of mind, because that's when we can really shine brightly as, as, you know, spirit intended us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, oh. Okay. I have one last question for you, which is if anybody's contemplating traveling, what would you say? Like, well, I'd say go read my book. I wrote a whole yeah. book on how I go traveling, the process I go through, everything from energetically, you know, facing my fears, calling it in, you know, how to call in the resources. I have a whole chapter dedicated to like, okay, here are the basics, here are the websites you need to use, here are the you know, here's, here, here are the apps that you should, that you should have on your phone. Like, here's how you maneuver translating languages and money and like, okay, here's how you face your fear. Like when you're heading for the airport and you feel like you're losing your shit and you feel, you know, your world is caving in and you're questioning if you made a good idea, a good choice or not, like it's all there. So I would say, check out my book, leaving America with Erica, how to travel and set yourself free. It's available on Amazon. Uh, and then, I mean, ultimately it's like, you know, if you feel the call, you have everything to gain and it's okay to be scared. You know, courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is taking that step forward in the face of the fear. And then what I can also tell you is like, you know, every time I went on these trips, I was scared. I was mm -hmm. doubting myself. I wasn't sure of what I was, what the hell am I doing? All I knew is that I just felt called to go. And when I did heed that call, life showed me treasures and miracles beyond my wildest dreams that changed me as a person that made my life better in in so many ways so i would say if you're feeling the call to travel do it i whenever i sign my book i say i always write the same thing i i, I write follow your heart and there you will find your treasure mm. follow your heart and there you will find your treasure and that's what I found here in Guatemala. I followed a really crazy journey, which you can read about in my book. And I ended up now finally owning land and building my own home and just feeling very aligned in a way that I never felt before in my entire life. 
So that's mm. my treasure. My treasure was ultimately to go traveling so I could come to my true home. Yeah. And you could put your roots down. Uh-huh. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Erica. You're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been absolutely a pleasure. It really has. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time. Hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.